This is Opinionated. I don't really have a full understanding of it, but that won't stop me from having an opinion. That's why we're here. Join Features Editor Ben Schiller and reporters Anna Batakova and Danny Nelson. You know, crypto is no longer just about money. It's about culture now. It's like you're thumbing your nose at the process. It's part of politics and part of sports and part of gaming. And it's not just the future of money anymore. As they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. It believes crypto is bad and it wants it out. I'm even old enough to remember when Microsoft was a kind of cool company in Silicon Valley. Ben, you're old enough to remember when telegrams came over a wire under the sea. (laughs) And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello, everybody. This is Opinionated. And this is a podcast, and my name is Ben, Ben Schiller, and I am joined by Danny Nelson. Hi, Danny Nelson. The name's Nelson, Nasal Nelson, because my voice nasal, is nasal, nasally nasal, today. Nasal. Uh, well, you sound very unsexy today, as usual. Thank you. I, I feel uh, unsexy too, Ben. Good. Well, you, you look better in, on the picture. We do need to say that uh, Coindesk is engaged in a massive enterprise of festival engineering, which is called Consensus. And this uh, lovely festival will be in Austin in June. So you should really get your tickets and get down there because it's going to be a bumper time full of about 400 speakers, lots of stages and a very South by Southwest vibe. And we're not doing the uh, Hilton Hotel in New York anymore. This is crypto 2022 with all the culture and fun attached to it. So Danny, what are we talking about today? Well, I'm thinking about how much I'm going to miss all those Zoom conferences. I, I love those so much for consensus oh, the past two years. I just, just love that. Love just that the, virtual vibe. Have, the idea of, of, of having to miss all those lovely networking uh, concoctions that they created <laughs> for the distributed audience. That oh, was so much fun. So much fun when you can sip your warm beer with another person on the other end of a line. Oh, it's, absolutely. It's something really fun. So, so what are we talking about today? We are talking about home Bitcoin mining, and it is uh, seeing a comeback. We've got uh, Colin Harper, a, uh, a Coindesk alumni who's now over at Luxor Mining, here with us today to dig into this issue, or really this trend that's taking off at a time when you'd think that small-time miners, wildcatters, wouldn't be able to make it. I just yeah. had a friend ask me if he could uh, set up a mining rig at his house. I said, I don't know. I'll have to ask some questions. And so here we are, Colin. You're here to answer our questions. We've got Thanks, the right Danny. person here. Yeah. So, so my understanding here is that you know this has been sort of a long-held dream, but it hasn't really been possible for for a number of years. That the market for mining has been sort of taken over by these institutions and these sort of factories of industrial activity. But it seems to be in a, a renaissance of homegrown mining, Colin. Do you want to just walk us through that, just to set this up? Yeah, absolutely. Ben, Danny, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, so building on that idea of there being a renaissance, uh, I would say that just access has opened up a lot more. For those who don't know too much about the Bitcoin mining landscape, basically from you know 2014, say, until recently, 2021, uh, China dominated the Bitcoin mining landscape um, all up and down the stack from you know the physical hardware manufacturing to the where the hardware was actually being run to the pools that manage the computing power for all the people mining. Uh, all of that stuff was in China. Summer 2021, China bans it. And suddenly all of that business has to leave the East and try to find new homes, specifically China. Kind of went all over the globe, but one of the major hotspots for relocation was US and North America. So specifically, I think for that sphere of the world, 
you know, home miners obviously existed before that, but you really had to know someone you really had to try, right? There were like none of these services like Compass or Luxor's Trading Desk or where I work or, you know, even uh, early on in the days, Kaboom Racks, which is a popular telegram chat. Or even some of these plebs on Twitter, um, some of whom, you know, Jeff interviewed for his piece. These guys are just buying machines and then selling them to other clubs. There was not really that level of access. And part of that is because the market was just flooded with machines from China after the ban. And, and the other thing, too, we have a, a term in the industry called hash price, and that refers to the value of a unit of compute power for Bitcoin mining. The compute power specifically is called hash rate for those uninitiated. And hash price was very low in 2020, meaning unless you had really cheap electricity, you were not making much money mining. And it was like seven cents. Bitcoin runs up to 60K. Uh, the average last year was around 31 cents. Some it's hit 40 cents at certain times. So it was very profitable to mine. You know, there kind of was this FOMO with all of these Bitcoin plebs. And they decided, you know, we're going to start home mining again because it's profitable and we want to, you know, secure the network. Uh, so, so you just mentioned uh, Jeff's piece then. We should mention that there. That's Jeff Wilzer. He wrote a piece for Mining Week, which was last week as we're recording this. It's called Don't Call This a Comeback, uh, The Unlikely Rise of Home Bitcoin Mining. And if you don't want to listen to Danny and I and, and even Who our would? esteemed guest, uh, I would highly, highly recommend that piece because it was very well written and quoted uh, Colin here most uh, fervently and widely. So, sorry, Colin. So, I mean, so China bans Bitcoin mining and that leads to a reduction in the difficulty of mining. Is, is that one of the things behind this trend? So without getting too in the weeds of mining economics, which is kind of my bread and butter at Luxor, the way that Bitcoin's mining difficulty works is more people mining, harder to mine Bitcoin, fewer people mining, easier to mine Bitcoin, just for all of our audience. Right. You know, when China bans Bitcoin mining, you had about a little over half of the hash rate, half of the computing power go offline overnight. So that made it a lot easier. And all of the miners that were plugged in at that point, I mean, it was like open season, man. So like you can go back and look at the public miners like HUD-8, Riot, Mara, all of them. They were crushing it last year in Q3 and Q4 because of the ban, right? And that also led to this kind of home mining thing, right? Like because profitability was up, hash price was up, it was a lot more profitable to mine. People were like, well, my electricity price at home, you know, the average electricity price in the United States is like 12 cents a kilowatt hour. Most of the industrial miners are getting anywhere from three to six. So, you know, 12 cents, if the uh, profitability is juicy enough, that's still enough to justify it. Right. Um, but again, going back to that prior point, some of it was FOMO because a lot of people, I think people do this with a lot of cash flow businesses. They just look at the revenue and don't think about the expenses at all. And so people got like dollar signs in their head right. and they bought a bunch of equipment. And one of the biggest problems we've seen, and now machine prices are starting to come down, is there's nowhere to host all of it. People are looking for places with favorable electricity rates. They're looking for places where they can get constant electricity, where they don't have to deal with putting it in their homes. And there's just not enough infrastructure for it. Right? Do you think this is also driven by COVID a little bit? I mean, people were stuck at home, nothing to do mm -hmm. and kind of fiddling on the computers. And it's like, I, why don't I, I break out a minor? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like if we can call it the COVID effect, I think that that's definitely in play. No doubt that people get bored. They try to find a hobby. Just to speak to that more broadly, on Bitcoin Twitter, plebs were starting to spin up a lot of nodes, try to do lightning stuff like dudes that just got in last year, try to do like try to do crazy stuff like that. So I think that's definitely in play. Let's talk about that word pleb for a second, because uh, in my conception, pleb means an ordinary person, nothing too special, just run of the mill. 
Yeah. But if you're going to start to mine Bitcoin yourself, isn't that going to immediately elevate you above the plebs? Like, sure, you're still going to be a pleb when you're when we're comparing you to these huge mining operations. But just tell me about like how much tech savviness are you going to need to learn in order to actually do this? Will you still be a pleb after all that? I think it comes from the Latin, Danny. You might not know any Latin, but I don't know any Latin at all. I'm what you call a pleb. So I don't know anything. Yeah, I don't know Latin either. I mean, if you want me to philosophize on uh, the role of the pleb in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Absolutely. You know, I think broadly the term within the Bitcoin circles is used to describe someone who they don't work for a Bitcoin company. They don't like, they're not a huge influencer, like to run hardware and they want to do this Bitcoin thing. Some of them are often very like ideologically, uh, how should we say, charged and, uh, you know, motivated. Um, Some of them can be very dogmatic. But I think it's a very abstract term, right? I think it's just anyone who could, I think it's kind of used very broadly as just kind of synecdoche for the Bitcoin ecosystem of like Bitcoiners. Let's go back to the white paper. Is the Bitcoin network supported by a network of plebs or a network of massive corporations? I think a network of plebs. And this gets into like a very detailed and like very obviously contentious debate within the crypto ecosystem. But I'm a big believer of ultimately the code is what matters. It doesn't really matter what corporations want to say. But to go back to one of your other questions about mining, I'm personally of this belief, it's easier to set up a rig than it is to set up a node. Unless maybe you're downloading the node on your laptop or a desktop, which is quite easy. If you just download Bitcoin Core, it's one of the easiest things ever. But all of these like plug and play nodes, like Raspi and like all these other things, like so many more steps than just going, like you literally get the rig, you put it in your home, you plug it into the wall and you put a Ethernet cord into it, put it into your ISP or your internet uh, box. And then you just figure out what the IP address is and then you access the IP and then you just decide which pool to join. So I, I think it's actually pretty easy. And one thing that I think that ultimately uh, is really cool about it for some of these plebs is, you know, if you can get creative with it, you can use the waste heat in ways that like cuts your costs for other conveniences and amenities in your house. People heating their homes. There's been a lot of talk about using ASICs to heat water, which I think is going to be interesting if someone figures that out. But that kind of, again, is like a level up. You just want to start or use a rig in your house. I think anyone could do it, honestly. I think my dad could do it. And that's do saying do a lot. It? So I don't do it right now. There's something wrong with my S9s. I got to figure out what happened. They just started acting up a few days ago. But yeah, I mean, uh, and tail end of 2020, early 2021, I was home mining. So talk us through that setup then and you know, some of the setups. A couple of hundred dollars to something really elaborate. Right. So we'll, we'll spend very little time on mine because mine is very primitive, quite a Neanderthalish, but I just wanted to tinker, right? And I kind of got into that FOMO. I bought some S9s for like 300 bucks a pop back in June, right after the ban. Bought like five of them, which is way too many because I had no idea what I was doing. So they get to my house like in September, it takes a while. And there's all of these things that I did not think about at all. It's like, okay, well, yeah, you got five miners, but you can't put them all on the same breaker. So Bitcoin mining taught me so much about my actual electricity, like electrical infrastructure. Because if I put them all in the same breaker, it'd blow the entire breaker box. I wouldn't have electricity. So I had to get extension cords, like 100 feet long extension cords, and like wire them throughout the house. So like the miners were in my basement. And I had wires coming up through one of the vents. One went to my kitchen. One went to the living room. One went to the guest room. And one went to my room. And then another one was like under the house in this little like guest room. But it's really just like a glorified storage space in the basement. What about the miners when they're actually in the oil layer? That seems to be a big... 
big impact. Oh yeah. So coin heated specifically, and I would I recommend everyone go to Twitter. You can see videos of this. He has infrastructure where he'll, he'll pipe it to his pool and in, in the back of his house. And I mean, like he has videos of this thing, like in the dead of night, like in the beginning of winter and it's just steaming. And, <laughs> and those things are really cool, right? You go down in his basement and there's barely any noise. And he's got a bunch of different miners, some altcoin miners, I think down there as well. That idea was pioneered by one of, uh, maybe, maybe someone else had it before him. I might get his name wrong, but Jesse Pelton, formerly of Slushpool. He did the, what he called the SPA 256. It's a play on SHA 256. And he heated a jacuzzi with an S9 or a few S9s right. back in the day. One point I want to make on that cool things about this, you can really see there's a lot of creativity that people have like dried mushrooms, people have heated greenhouses. The most important aspect of Bitcoin mining is not just can you get cheap electricity? If you can't get cheap electricity, how efficient can you make your setup? Can you recycle the heat to cut your heating costs? If you can do things like that, then you're going to be making money and it's always going to be profitable, especially in the pits of the bear market. Let's talk about energy usage for a second. Completely random. A friend of mine reached out two days ago before we even were discussing doing this on the episode today. And he asked me whether it would be economical for him to set up some miners. And I thought, I, I don't know. I'll have to look into that. I know he's out in California. I'm pretty sure that electricity is expensive out there, as with most things. But he said his friend is installing some solar panels and he's expecting to be producing, I guess, excess electricity so he won't be relying on the grid. My question for you, Colin, is one, is California a viable area if you're not living next to like a power plant? And two, is it viable to link your miners to a solar panel or will you just be screwed at nighttime? So for the first question, never say never. I'm sure there are miners in California. I don't know of any Bitcoin miners. You know, there are probably some GPU miners, right? Uh, but generally, no. No, California has some of the most prohibitively high electricity costs, not even just residential, but commercial. Uh, I actually, for our end of year report, I ran some numbers on this and it was crazy. California was, I think, the highest. It was almost as high as Hawaii. Think about that. That's insane. Like that's, that's pretty crazy. So I would say generally, no, not really good. If you have solar panels, your question then becomes, would I be better off offsetting the excess with mining or should I just sell it back to the grid for a credit? And I think that you have to run that analysis. My gut would be probably, unless you're like a hardcore crypto guy, you're probably just better off selling back to the grid. But if you like want to go through the process of buying some miners, I would say probably GPUs um, because they, they're a little more finicky but they generally, they consume much less electricity. Just generally, they'd be more profitable in like a bull market scenario. But, you know, if you want to invest the infrastructure in it, offsetting with solar can be beneficial. There's not, unfortunately, there's not a lot of data on it because it's kind of goes back to the, what you said, like, not only is it very intermittent, but you're, you're probably only getting a few hours every day that you're not using you know, probably at night that you can mine with. If you already had the computer, I would say do it, but probably not go out of your way. Jeff uh, interviews a number of actual real people in his piece, which is quite unusual for uh, journalism sometimes. It's sort of interesting sort of spectrum of motivations for uh, getting into this space. You know, some people are driven obviously by naked money making, and some people like Scott Melker, who's a famous trader and goes by the moniker, uh, the Wolf of All Streets. 
says he just wanted to be part of the the network. He, he'd always been sort of fascinated by this self-correcting sort of Bitcoin network, and he wanted to be part of that. So to talk about the kind of different motivations that people have for doing this. I, I think that right there is really, at the, that's the nucleus of a lot of it. And I think there are layers of motivation, but that's really the core for a lot of Bitcoiners specifically who got in in the last few years. They always wanted to do this because they really wanted to feel like they were, you know, partaking in the network. And an extension of that too is like, they want to feel like they're, they're mining Bitcoin, right? They want to mine Bitcoin. They want block rewards, which, you know, no one really ever gets fresh block rewards, but, you know, we won't get into that. I think that generally mining is attractive to a lot of people because unlike Bitcoin, which is very abstract, mining is a lot more tangible. First of all, the analogy is good. People say they don't like mining as an analogy. I think that those people are wrong because I think that it's a perfect analogy to describe what you're trying to do. You're spending a lot of effort to extract something very rare. And that is very interesting to people. But Bitcoin is like, there's not really anything to compare it to. Really no analog. In, in the physical world, really. And so people don't understand it, but they understand cash flows and they understand hardware and they understand computers. And I think for a lot of people who have kind of, you know, might be in the, even the Scott Meckler bucket of like kind of older, like guys like my dad's generation, they want to mine it because they want cash flows. You know, they don't want to hold Bitcoin. For a lot of the plebs, it's exactly that core, like I'm securing the network. For the people who can do it right, and this is the sweet spot for the plebs, it's I'm securing the network and partaking in mining, getting fresh block rewards, all that. And I'm earning Bitcoin at a discount, you know, like Bitcoin's trading at 48,000. My, you know, cost to mine is 30,000. That's an incredible thing. All right. So Colin, just take the story forward then. I mean, do we see this trend continuing or do you think it's going to be beaten back by economics as more uh, mining capacity comes online again? Oh man, I flip-flop on this. Some people think, because all the home miners, obviously, you know, they've got their stakes in the ground. And whenever I talk about this with them, they're like, yeah, we're always going to be mining. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, probably for a long time. But like, what happens when the entirety of ERCOT is mining Bitcoin? Like what happens when electricity grids and energy providers, which they are starting to do, I mean, ExxonMobil is mining Bitcoin now. I mean, when you have energy producers that are the most heavily capitalized companies in, in the world and in, in, in their regional markets, I don't see how the smaller guys are going to be able to compete with that. That's at a much longer time horizon. You know, I mean, that's, you know, a few halvings from now when Bitcoin's block reward is around one Bitcoin, right? <laughs> but I still think that it, it ultimately you will have home miners who do it for a number of reasons. Maybe they lose money, but they do it because they want to feel like they're securing the network. They want no KYC Bitcoin. But you'll also have some guys like Coin Heated, maybe, or other dudes who just have an edge somehow. Like I said, if they can be more efficient, if they're breaking even, they're mining. And as long as they're doing that, then you're going to have home miners. But it will become increasingly difficult. The people who do not have plans, the people who do not have cheap electricity, the people who are not really thinking about how they're going to scale and stay competitive are going to get washed out 100%. All right, so let's wrap this up. Uh, This has been Opinionated. That was Danny Nelson and Colin Harper, and I'm Ben Schiller. And thanks very much for listening. And you can check out our show page on coindesk.com where you can find all our social handles and you can interact with us if you dare. We'll see you next time. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Danny Nelson, and guest Colin Harper. Today's episode was produced and announced by Michelle Mousseau with additional production support from Eleanor Paul. 
Our theme song is by Ellison. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, opinionated, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.